Welcome to Dreamers to Leaders, Keeping It Real with Melody podcast. Melody is a classic dreamer who started as a flight attendant and worked her way to now a tech fashion trendsetter, thought leader, and dynamic entrepreneur in various industries. This podcast is for the dreamers and doers. Learn how to think, act, and speak big as business leaders share how they turned from dreamers to leaders. Hello and welcome to the Dreamers to Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Melody. Our guest today is a speaker, author, non-executive director, and an angel investor. He uh, recently launched a book. It's called Simplify to Succeed, and it's about a book on building, scaling, and selling your business. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Gary Mansell. Hey, Gary. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So let's begin. If you could share with our audience and walk us back through your journey on you being an entrepreneur and your defining moments that molded you to be who you are as an entrepreneur today. How was that journey like? Um, it's been a long one, in truth. And I guess I've really been an, an entrepreneur in the real terms since about 2005. So 17 years of, of messing around building businesses and helping other people build businesses. But I guess it starts back... I was a classic corporate person. You know, basically, I, I ended up holding quite a senior role within Mars Incorporated, the candy guys, worked around the world with them. Um, and my background was in procurement. So I, I basically spent a lot of time buying lots of different things um, to facilitate Mars bars and pet food and things of that nature and, and all the other products that they have, such as food. Um, and in 1999... I was working in the area of logistics, looking after logistics for Mars in Europe. So basically doing the buying with a buying team around me for transport and warehousing. And we developed some quite clever stuff um, to actually collect bids and offers and things like that um, online. But in truth, I got to 1999 and I kind of felt that I'd done enough that corporate life was not for me. I didn't really want to go to the next stages of that. Um, and I wanted to go and do something myself. And so I decided to take all of the things that I've learned in my time as a buyer um, and put them on the internet. And in 1999, you know, I was the classic internet pioneer. Everybody was deciding they wanted websites. Nobody could build them. And, and it was the days when, you know, there, there, weren't, there weren't things that you could use like now, you know, like Wix and you know, Squarespace and people like that who would build websites right. or you could just build websites. You had to actually know how to build the damn stuff and nobody did. Um, so we basically, I mean, I, I decided I was going to leave Mars and they convinced me actually to stay in Mars and start the business inside the Mars Corporation. And I became not an entrepreneur, but an intrapreneur. So basically, I renegotiated my contract. I got a bunch of people working inside Mars working for me. I employed some people from outside. And we built our first business, which was online freight procurement. Um, and it was a, a market exchange, for a better mm -hmm. word. And it got quite successful, but it had some pieces missing because some of the things we wanted to do were really, really hard. You know, actually making decisions and helping people make decisions about who they awarded their business to. And it was going to take huge amounts of computing power. Um, and also, a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do, 
the hard maths, as I call it, or in American parlance, the hard math. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, I'm completely multilingual across the Atlantic. Um, just wasn't available. Uh, and in 2006, I discovered a tiny business in Sweden. It was <laughs> coming out of Uppsala University, which in effect was the MIT of, of Sweden. Of Sweden. Yeah. And, and um, they had this, this tiny little business that was making some really clever decision analysis software. And I went across to Sweden and spoke to the guys there. Um, and basically, I licensed the software from them and bought it into Mars, into this company that I was running called Freight Traders. Well, it was stunning in terms of what it would do. And I decided that we really had to buy this company because if we didn't buy it, somebody else would. But it was decided by the Mars family, who owned Mars, that it wasn't the right thing to do. So that was which kicked me into the entrepreneurial world in 2006, when I basically, in effect, helped close down freight traders and merged it with this Swedish business, which was called Trade Extensions. Mm. Um, and basically, the business and the software for Trade Extensions had been written by brilliant people. The, the chair professor of maths and computing at the university, one of his PhD students, one of his MSc students, and it was unique and novel and really different. Um, but it couldn't be used by human beings. Mm -hmm. you know, it, was, it, it needed a brain the size of a planet to make it work. Um, and everything was all on one page, and it didn't have a classic user interface, but it was superb. Coming a long story short, between the years of 2006 and 2016, I worked with the guys in Sweden. We built this new business called Trade Extensions. Um, I was there to commercialize and lead the business. And the developers were there to develop the software. And we ended up selling this procurement software, not only to Mars, but to the biggest corporations in the world. I mean, we sold it to P&G, we sold it to Unilever, we sold it to Walmart, we sold it to Ikea, and they were using it to buy anything and everything. Um, <laughs> so it, become, it became very successful. Um, and around about 2016, we had to decide what we were going to do. We were going to add more function to the software and make it a complete suite, or we were going to partner with somebody. Long story short, we didn't partner with somebody. We ended up selling the business. Um, mm. So we sold it to an, uh, an American unicorn company um, called Cooper Software in Silicon Valley, in Silicon. Um, which, which was very successful. I carried on working there for 18 months and then decided it was time for me to leave because, quite frankly, as a, as a managing director or a CEO of a company that's been bought, you're kind of like the, you know, the old guy sitting on a perch. Yeah. Your job is to integrate your people and integrate the software into their mm -hmm. business. But really, they don't need you around, you know. So you can't you know, have uh, two chefs in the kitchen type of thing. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And, and I would have got frustrated as well. And they're a great company. So we, we parted ways. And my idea then was to go off and write a book about my experiences or to teach other people about how to start and run new businesses, but also then to start investing, taking some of the money I'd made from the sale of trade extensions and start investing in other startups in interesting areas. So I, I got the perfect job 
uh, you know, I, I basically do what I like when I want. Um, I do quite a lot of public speaking as well. The book came out in 2022, and that was a lot harder than I thought it would ever be to do. <laughs> How long um, did, it, did it take you to write the book? Uh, it took me nine months. Nine months. Uh, and yeah. this is the book, right? Uh, Simplified to Succeed, the one that it we is, see yeah. behind you. Wonderful, yeah, I mean, wonderful. I'm, and thank I, you. I, for the book. I, I, come from a, I come from a marketing company, don't I? Everything's on brand. <laughs> exactly. Wonderful, wonderful. It's all that... Um, that visual, right? That visual suggestion, yeah. <laughs> as they would say, and that subliminal, subliminal messaging. All right. So uh, with that, um, thank you for sharing that, Gary. And there's just quite a few light bulbs uh, in my head um, popping as, uh, as you were speaking. So you talked about intrapreneur, that's intra with an I, yeah. and, and you being um, in the Mars company, um, kind of doing their promoting uh, the idea of the platform that you were um, suggesting and that they have rolled out yeah. with your with your help to becoming an entrepreneur with an E, right? So um, you finding a gap and solving a problem, wrapping it all together, and uh, and then selling it later. Um, so tell us. Uh, Tell the audience the difference, the main difference between being an intrapreneur and an entrepreneur. Well, the, the intrapreneur typically is the person who stays within their corporation, but they have an idea um, or an idea for a product very often or a new service, which is saleable in its own right. It, it's not for my thinking. It's not, it's not the, the clever guy who decides that on a, on a matchbox, Instead of putting sandpaper on both sides, they put sandpaper on one side. You know, that, mm -hmm. that's your job within that business. This is where you see something and you see it as a new business and you convince your existing business to fund it. And then what you're really doing is you're saying to them, not only are you going to fund this, but I want something out of it as well. So I want to tear up my existing contract and I want a share of the success this will be. Yeah. And mm. that, to me, is an entrepreneur. Right. Now, really, an entrepreneur is exactly that, doing exactly those things, but mm -hmm. doing it outside of a big corporation. So, you know, you could yeah. say an entrepreneur has the safety net of a big corporation, whereas the entrepreneur has the risk of everything else. And, and having been both, it gets quite entertaining because an entrepreneur, what they're doing is basically giving up their career. You know, it, it's, it isn't very often that you're a senior manager in a big corporation and you say, well, now I want to spend three years building this extra thing. And by the way, if it's a failure, I'd like my old job back, please. Right, that doesn't right, happen. Right. Yeah? That's why you have to share some of the risk. That's why you say to them, well, if you're going to fund this, that's great. I'm actually going to put my career at stake. Yeah, I don't expect to be given a job if this fails. I expect you to fire me, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so basically, it's a it's it's an entrepreneur um, that has fifty percent of the risk. would have the whole enchilada uh, of the risk. However, listening to you and uh, and for all our entrepreneur uh, audience out there, me personally, I'm thinking, wow, it would be nice to really to really collaborate and spot someone 
within your organization that could be an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? That could really be your collaborator. That could be your partner that would have the passion, the vision, the creativity, and all that good stuff that would want to really push your, your, um, your company you know, forward with what it is that they have in mind, you know, to help the company. That'll be, that'll be awesome, right? I, I mean, there are, I mean, there, there was one famous book written about entrepreneurship and it was written back, I think, in the 70s. Um, and it was when every single company had this idea of saying, we want an entrepreneurial mindset inside our company. Inside, yeah. yes, yes. Um, and that's that's what they all started seeking. And then you had, you know, these terms like the skunk works coming up. But it wasn't always successful. And the reason it very often wasn't successful is the companies weren't willing to give away part of the success of it. Yeah? Oh, they want all the credit. <laughs> they, want, they, they want all the credit and they maybe give you a promotion, they'll maybe give you more money. But, you know, it's, it's like... That it's still our business. It's still everything for us. Yeah. And, and that was where, and that when I talked to companies about how to create an entrepreneurial um, culture inside their business, I always told them, you have to give it away. You know, actually, if you get 50% of a massive new company, that's better than uh -huh. getting nothing of a failure. Yeah. So accept the fact that you're going to get 50% and give the other 50% to the guys who actually said, we'll abandon our careers. We believe in it so much. You fund us. We'll go and do it. Yeah. Right. So, and so instead of getting money from angels and venture capitalists, you get money from your corporation. Right, right, right. So 50% of a billion is so much better than 100% of a million, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, I agree. Um, so... I think with what you're saying, if for whatever reason you're an intrapreneur, right, so you're an employee with this massive idea and that passion to really create something within the organization, and you have a company that wants to put a cap on you, that I think what fuels the intra to be an intra, an entrepreneur, right? Absolutely, absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah, so, um, and I think it was in the, in the 70s. Uh, when 3M, 3M, the company, uh, yeah. had this major uh, push to create that entrepreneurial uh, culture where um, it was saying like 15%, they want their, their workforce to devote 15% of their working hours to producing something great for the yeah. company. And I don't know if the yellow, the sticky note was one of those. Yeah, the post-it post notes. Yeah, post-it post notes. notes. It was, it was the, it was the adhesive. I think on the post-it notes that they were, they were trying to develop a, an adhesive that would work, and they found out that, I mean, that whether it's just urban legend, I think it was the fact that it didn't quite work. But you know, it, anyway, you, you know what it. Anyway, happened. then, uh, how many yellow sticky do I have uh, here? Right. So. Yeah. Exactly. Urban legend or not. It has um, function <laughs> in our modern the, day society. The thing, the thing I don't know about that one, though, is whether the people who developed the post it notes inside 3M, what they got from it. Yeah. What and what, I'm, 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 I'm going to go back and find out now and find out whether they actually owned it or whether they just got a bonus or whether they became yeah, meteoric okay. employees who ended up running the company. As you said, it's like an urban legend, the legend that I heard. <laughs> 
was um, yeah. they actually made massive. So I don't know if it it is the employee or or the corporation that took all the credit. But yes, yeah, so once you once you do your um your little research and your background investigation, <laughs> you can email me and and share yeah. to me what you've learned. But um. So we talked about uh, the difference between entrepreneur and entrepreneur. Let's talk about you, Gary, as a multidimensional entrepreneur. You're an angel yeah. investor. You are an author. Uh, and Ned is one of the things that I've never really heard of until I saw your, your website, right? So a non-executive director. What makes you and your service, services unique? Um, well, I, I actually don't think I am unique, but people employ me because I guess I'm old, which means I've done quite a lot of things. And I mean, I smile now because people turn around and say, well, we're now running into a period of supply chain disruptions. Right. We've got high interest rates. We're going into a recession. And there are people in industry who've never lived in those times. Whereas I have, sadly, you know, I lived during the 70s. I was working in industry in the 80s. And, and so it's, it's those experience things. And actually, right. that's, what, that's what drove the book more than anything else, because people wanted my experience. They wanted my knowledge of how to solve particular problems, and particularly in startups or growth companies. And I found that so many of them were asking the same questions. And it was just a case of, of, of me sitting there and thinking, I should write this down. Yeah? Nice, nice. Yeah. And, and that's how actually how the book came about. It's the most common questions I was asked over four years of working as a non-executive director. And, and that's what triggered the book. Um, but the, the thing I also think, the, the thing that I guess differentiates me and people uh -huh. seem to like is, is they, they like my leadership style. Um, I do tend to have good teams. I build good teams. I spot good people. And I'm never scared to be the dumbest person in the room, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love surrounding myself by smart people. Yeah, you, you don't walk into Uppsala University um, and talking to the professor of maths and computing and the whole of his team and think you're the, the smartest guy in the room because you're not. Yeah. You're not, but cl yes. Clever leaders surround themselves by people who are really clever. So I like that. Uh, I like hearing that. And the humility. They say that's one of the underrated <laughs> um, characteristic of being a great leader, um, which is humility. And um, interestingly enough, yesterday I was with, a, with a, a group of entrepreneurs with two Navy SEALs. And one really you know, shared a very inspiring story. And for him, humility amongst the five principles that he talked about is humility that um, he believes really helps in leading, in leading with crazy passion, you know, for people yeah. to really give up everything, you know, to follow a command or to follow and do what it takes to have uh, a winning team and to, bring it, deliver, deliver what is needed uh, for a successful uh, project or mission, right? So, so, so yeah, so I guess that's, that's part of what makes you, um, makes you a great leader. And, and in your book, I think that's chapter four, that you talked about yeah. uh, creating uh, uh, your dream team, right? Yes. Uh, 
So that, that's awesome. And I like what you said here. Tips, tricks, and insights to help you build, scale, and sell your business. And, you know, for a lot of people, they really do want, you know, it's wise to learn from your mistake, right? But it's yeah. wiser to learn from someone's mistake, right? Somebody, exactly right. <laughs> and and I, made, I made lots of them. Yeah, that's how I, that's, I mean, I learned to be a, a good leader by being a bad leader quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I did lack humility when I was younger. Yeah. I knew I was right about everything. I still think I'm right about everything now, but I know how to cover that up a bit, <laughs> you know, but I mean, I mean, for me, leadership is all about people. Yeah. And, and so many people I know who say they're leaders and coaches and all those things, they actually kind of treat people like numbers. They treat them as a resource. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of weep when I see people giving me spreadsheets wow. and they talk about a half a person or 25% of a person because that's 25% of somebody's time. Yeah. 100%, and and yeah. Mm -hmm. I always spent my time with my people. I mean, I, I always tried to develop businesses and organizations whereby nobody had more than about six or eight people reporting to them. Right, because yeah. if, if they do have more than that, they can't get to know them properly. And unless you know them, you can't lead them. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the other thing, apart from humility for me, is demonstrating empathy. You have to be mm -hmm. empathetic towards your team. Yeah? Right, and, yeah. And what I mean by empathy is, is you've got to know them well enough that you can put yourself in their position. And I don't mean asking yourself, what would I do in their situation? The question you need to ask is, what will they do in their situation? In that situation, yeah. And that's a really, really big difference because they're not you, yeah? So yeah. unless you know them, you can't decide that. I mean, th then empathy to me is emotional as well. It's feelings. I, I, I start every single meeting I have, a, a board meeting or a group meeting or anything. I say to everybody around the table, how do you feel? And everybody then gets the chance to say, you know, well, you know, my, my dog died or my wife left me or I feel great. Or actually, I'm just recovering from COVID and I'm not feeling that great at the moment. So, you know, bear with me. And if you can create that kind of atmosphere, people understand why sometimes people react badly. Yeah. You know, you, they, they trigger and they go off from boom. Yeah. But I if, agree. If they shared with you their position early on, that, that's... That's half the battle. Um, and, and then, of course, the last, piece of uh, the last piece of empathy for me is, as a leader, you then have to take action to help. So if somebody really is saying, I'm struggling, yeah, then you have to be able to do something about it. But you have to do it with logic. Empathy doesn't mean turning around and saying yes to everything they want. Yeah, I want 18 weeks holiday this year. Well, guess what? You're not going to get it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but at let's least ask they asked, right? <laughs> <laughs> at least they had the, the, the strength. At least they believed you'd listen, which is really the most important thing. But for, for me, empathy in, in a leader is really, really key. Um, and then very much like your example with the Navy SEAL, the way you actually lead a team is, is you tell a story to them. Yeah? You tell a story. You, you, you get them bought into your narrative. They understand, and then they see what needs to happen. I mean, one of the things I, I put in the book, there's a, 
a Belgian guy worked for me and I described him in the book as he was like water because that's how he described himself to me. Um, and I didn't understand that, first of all. And he said, all you need to do is, is get me on board, tell me the story, show me the narrative and tell me where you need to be. And then don't worry about it because I'll get you there. I'll find a way. I yeah? love it. Because I, love I it. believe the story. Um, right. And so, yeah, yeah Philip, my, my friend, is, uh, he, was, he was very much like water. He'd find a way to get to where he needed to be. That's also a very, very famous uh, quote from Bruce Lee, right? Be like water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be like water. And it has a, a few, more, few more lines there. But uh, yeah. the way he said it with that nice, beautiful accent, um, you know, really drives, drives the point of, uh, you know, why is water um, powerful, right? It, yeah. it really, it, when you boil it, it heats up. When you freeze it, it you know, it just has all, all the functions that you, you want and need. Um, so, so your book, let's, uh, let's go back to you as... Um, uh, so chapter four, you talked about building a team and you talked mm -hmm. about humility, empathy. And then before that, you also talked about sales, right? Like, you know, all these trainings and, and all these, <laughs> um, you know, things that one needs to do to be a great salesperson. But again, it boils back to, to, to you, uh, the type of leader you are, right? Are you trustworthy? Yeah. Are you, um, you show respect, right? Because you don't just demand respect, you earn it, right? Yep. As an angel investor, uh, let's go back to that because we have a um, lot of people out there, especially in the United States, you know, 63% of um, startups that become uh, a billion dollar um, company, 63% comes from the United States, right? Mm. And apparently 21% from China, 4% from India, and 2.3% from the UK. So it's th those startups that actually um, amount to a billion dollar uh, unicorn, billion yeah. dollar company, right? So, so for our audience out there, what is the easiest way to get financing, Gary? Tell it oh, to them straight. <laughs> the, I mean, people, when they first start, they go through. It, it, it's really interesting that there are some people who really do the research and say, this is my path to financing. And they go from friends and family through to angel investors into venture capital and then every stage of venture capital upwards until they sell their business. Um, and most people I know start with bootstrapping. You know, they, they go around their friends and their family. And, and I always say to people, if you're doing that, that's great. But you need to say one very, very, very important thing. Yeah. And that is, I want the money. This is how I'm going to use it. This is how much I need. And by the way, you're probably going to lose all of it. Yeah. Because the rods are, you are. Yeah. That's, that's a fact. So you need to be very honest with people about this. Once you've got past that initial stage of funding, obviously then the angel investors come in. And some people are fortunate and they know people like myself um, who have their own network of other angel investors. But there are some fabulous organizations of angel investors 
I mean, just in the UK, pretty much every county has its own group of angel investors. Mm. Some are better than others. Um, but, you know, then you're, you're basically talking to strangers for the first time, you know. And that's part of the problem that people have when they're looking for angel investment funding. You know, the, the funding, which is like, a, you know, a half a million pounds or a million pounds or two million or three or four million pounds that you typically get from a group of angels. What they do is they, they treat it like it's a, it's a presentation of work. Um, and they don't get they don't take the time to learn who the angels are in front of them, whether they do invest, what they invest in. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I always say to I always say to founders, do the research of the people who will suit you best and get to know them before you even start asking them for money. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because yeah, I mean I, I get some of that from people I know. And I also sit in three angel groups around the UK where I'm seeing people for the first time. And truthfully, I look at their business plan. I look at their presentation, you know, the pitch decks they, they produce. They usually mm-hmm. get about 15 minutes in front of us. It's like, you know, Dragon's Den, literally. It, it's, it can be horrifying. It can be intimidating. But yeah. actually, the business plan and everything else doesn't do a lot for me. I, I tend to look about what the idea is. Does it seem compelling? Is it interesting? But I'm only really interested in the founders. I want to know and I want to feel for what they're like, whether they've got the resilience and whether they've got the ability to get knocked down again and again and again, get mm. back up and keep going. And, you know, I, one of the questions I very often ask is, okay, you know, you, you four guys, women, guys, you know, I, I use the term collectively. At one point or another, one of you is probably going to be leaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you got yourselves ready for that? Do you know what that feels like? Do you recognize the fact that some of you were really, really great at the first year and a half of a business, but when you try and scale it, you're rubbish at it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you love doing everything that needs to be done with no structure and no process. But as you get older and as you get a more mature business, and as you're looking for 10 million of funding and 15 million and 20 million of funding, people are going to be coming to you and saying, Okay, so what's your structure? How do you manage the governance of your business? What are the processes in place? How do you turn this business, which is a child, into an adolescent and into a teenager? Oh, yeah, we all know how hard that is. And that's the analogy I use for people. You know, you're turning the business from being a kid in kindergarten into a high school school student with all the problems that are involved in that as well. And I, I guess... It's a long way around of just simply saying, I invest in people, not in ideas. Not really. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, so, so step one, uh, the, you, need to, you need to know who the sharks are. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's so weird, right? Sharks and angel. How could it be so far off the, the spectrum? Exactly. But when you're talking yeah. about investors. Okay, so... Uh, so you're in part of angel investors or sharks. <laughs> uh, know them. That would be tip one, right? Yep. What would be tip two for what would be the major thing that, okay, fine. Uh, now I know Mr. X would be <laughs> uh, part of the panel. Once you've found that out, the, the next thing really is to get your story straight and tell a story. Tell yeah? a good story, a compelling People, story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. People love stories. We're, we're, we are born storytellers as humans. I mean, yeah, well, they're, they're yes. all, mm-hmm. in history, people pass their history through telling stories. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Yes. And, yes. And we're, we're built to listen to a story. 
So don't okay. sit there and just give me a, give me a set of bullet points. Uh-huh. Actually engage me. Show me you're a leader. Give me that narrative. Give me that, that dialogue, which actually says, this is why I'm doing this. This is where I come from. This is where I'm going. And this is why I think it's going to be successful. I and these are the people you. around me who are going to make this work. And, and suddenly I'm, I'm sucked in, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of moving forward now. I'm going, I love this story. I love these people. I know nothing about what you're talking about, but you're telling a good story. Right, so right, I'm right. willing to risk some of my money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then third? Third is do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. For me, it's, you know, it's, you haven't got the angel investment until the money's in the bank. Yeah. Right. <laughs> people make promises and still a lot of people don't keep their promises. They say, yep, I'll give you 10 grand. I'll give you 50,000. Yeah. Don't, ex- don't expect as a founder that that's an absolute rock solid guarantee. Get the paperwork done. Follow up every single time. Follow up. Show me. Be, you know, basically be a pain in the butt to me. I'm busy. Rock I'm doing talk. lots of things. And if I've said to you, if you said to me, I need the money in my bank account by Friday, and I said, yes, I'll do that, and the money's not there by Friday, don't be scared of picking up the phone and saying, you told me this would happen. You, you, you talked about the sales piece that I talk about. And I mean, you, you know, because you've read it, I really hate sales courses. I mean, I just do. Um, because I was a buyer. Yeah, I was taught to be a buyer. I know salespeople. I know the techniques because I get taught the sales techniques that people try and use on me. But when I had to start selling stuff, what I did is I kind of ignored the sales courses and I simply went, the people who used to sell to me, which ones were successful? And they were the ones who you touched on. They, they trusted me. They valued me. They respected me. And they stuck to their word and they made me stick to my word as well. So as a founder, make sure your angels stick to their word. Keep them informed. I mean, they, the number of times I've invested in businesses with what appears to be very, very good people. You know, they've, 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 at least they give me the story. Yeah. Because it is quite a small amount of time you get, even with due diligence and everything else. And then they go quiet. And then I hear from them again when they're a week away from running out of money. Uh And they think, and they think, well, yeah, he will obviously put more money in here because he's already invested. Well, guess what? The money I've invested, I've almost written off already. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, if you think you're going to get more money because I'm already invested with you, that isn't the way it works. And a lot of angels I know have that approach as well. You know, we all tend to invest thinking it would be great to get a 10 times revenue on this. But if we don't, well, you know, that's the risk we take. One mm-hmm. in 10 may work. One in five uh, may work. Actually, that's the, the recent statistics. Uh, 90% of all startups fail. 10% fail in the first year. And yep. 70% fail into the second to the fifth year. So there is a high mortality uh, rate in yeah. startups, right? Um, so... That brought me to to the classic saying about sales. In selling, people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? So, and that really uh, is something that, you know, I teach my people. 
um, because really, yes, you could regurgitate all this, the specs, the details, the benefits and features of a product. But if you haven't really connected in a level where they think that you really care about their needs and solving their pain points and their yep. problems, then it's not going to amount uh, to anything, right? Exactly. So, you know, so Gary, you talked about due diligence. Uh, can you briefly talk to us about the due diligence that you go through as an investor? As an angel investor, um, well, I will, I will do some pretty simple things, first of all. Like, I will mm -hmm. look for your history, yeah? I will find out which companies you've run before, where uh -huh. your successes and failures are. And, and one of the things I've probably asked you during the, the pitch session is, well, that's all well and good, but tell me about the things that failed because I want to learn how you react when you fail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so if people have lied to me in that, that's a really bad sign. Yeah. And I, I look for things like the Articles Association of the company. I look for, and it's very easy to look for things like patents that they have um, or they claim they have, because very often people claim they have a patent and actually it's filed in one country or it's, it's you know, there, there, there's all those things. And nowadays the internet is so easy right, to actually right. just go and say, I mean, you know, you just put the company name in and the people and you can get a wealth of information to start with. Then right. you dig a bit deeper and, you know, a few things you pay for and you can get their company accounts and, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I literally do go through all of that and you can do it very, very quickly with startups. Um, you know, very, very often people are coming as, to you as an angel investor and some of them have been in existence for months. Others have been in existence for two or three years. And so they have a history behind them. And you can look at that history. So it is financial, it's the people, and it's the claims they make during right. the pitch sessions that I'm looking at in terms of due diligence. Um, but most of all, it still comes back down to, do I think I can work with this person? Right. At the end of the yeah. day, right? Yeah, they could have the perfect, the pitch perfect um, deck. <laughs> yeah. If you could imagine. But at the end of the day, I think... Truly, it's the attitude, you know, the attitude of the person. Is it someone that you can really stomach to deal with and, and, uh, and collaborate with, right? <laughs> well, very, very often as an angel, you're going to end up on their board. You know, one of like, I mean, typically I, I talk about there are three groups, three angel groups I'm a member of. And at any one time, everybody I know in those angel groups has generally ended up on the board of one of the companies they've invested in because they, they add some value. And yeah. that, for me, is what a non-executive director is about. You know, I always say, uh, you know, whenever people take me on as a non-exec, I laughingly say, well, let me tell you, that there'll be two things that happen. At one point, you'll look at me and go, what's this guy adding anymore? You know, what, what, what more is he bringing to us? And you've got, to be, you've got to have enough guts to turn around and tell me when I'm no longer needed, yeah, and actually fire me. I'm expecting you to fire me and you've got to pick it out rather than me picking it out. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. So, you know, that's, that's important. Um, and, and you know, it, it's those kind of things. And a non-exec is there to act as a, as a trusted friend to the CEO and the founding team and to actually tell them when they're being stupid, nice. but you know, kind <laughs> of but do it in a nice way. Or Use other logic. way. <laughs> Or other way around, if they're doing great, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 
so 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 Gary, uh, to to wrap it up, I just really want to say, you know, this is a it's an awesome book. I like anything that has to do with um, simplification of 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 subject matter, and this is about you know uh, scaling startups, selling right, selling your business, uh, yep. simplifying ways uh, to succeed. And as they say, knowledge is compiling all the information and wisdom is yes. actually the art of simplifying all those information. So, so, so good work there, uh, Gary. So as we wrap up, how can our audience uh, find you if they want to use a NED, if they want uh, a speaker um, and to get, you know, more information about your book? What's the best yep. way to reach you, Gary? Well, it, it's it's GaryMansell.com. Uh, I have a website, and it's Gary with two R's because my mother seriously, obviously, couldn't spell. <laughs> so, <laughs> or, yes. or, or uh, she wanted for you to stick to to be different, right? To to not yes. be like the usual Garys of the world. You're with exactly. an extra R. <laughs> GaryMansell.com has got all my contact details on there. Uh, hey. Um, thank you again for uh, for being in the show. Wishing you continued success, Gary. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. It's, it's great to meet you at last. And right. um, it's been great fun talking to you. And for all our dreamers out there, keep believing. You got this. Till next time.